Good morning. Wow. I'm glad to wake you all up this morning. I'm thrilled to be here. My wife Sherry says to tell you all hello. She's hanging out with the grandkids today in Kansas City, which is where I'm from. We have a football team down there too. And uh, everybody, when I told them I was coming to Green Bay, they posted on my Facebook wall, uh, just don't wear a striped shirt. You'll be all right. And uh, so I thought about showing up in a ref outfit, but I figured you all had enough of that. So. So anyway, but I'm happy to be here this morning. I consider it an honor. We do have a few things that I brought for those of you that are at other campuses. You can go to my website, which is therevjb.com is the easiest one, therevjb.com. And you can find all this stuff because we got all kinds of stuff because all guys' children need stuff. So anyway, we have our newest CD exchange, which is out there. My book, a bunch of other CDs are out there too as well. My book, Don't Take Your Dreams to the Grave. And then we started publishing a magazine called Everywhere. And if you stop by the table out in the foyer, just pick up a card or go to the website. You can sign up for it. It's free. It's an online thing. We just found that we have so much going on that we needed another outlet or a way to just communicate that to people. So grab your Bibles and turn to Genesis, the 50th chapter, and I will be talking to you today. I'll get to it, but in the meantime, I'll just be sharing some thoughts and some other things. So today, my message is titled, Our Jacked Up Family, because everybody's got one. You know what I'm saying? The holidays are coming up here before long, and everybody gets all stressed out about it. You know why? Because the family's coming over. And everybody's got at least one weirdo in their family. And it's probably you. You're just in denial. You haven't, uh, haven't quite gotten to a place where you can deal with it. But my sister Patsy, she's been doing all of our family ancestry, and it's really cool because she discovered that I am the 39th, 38th, 38th great-grandson of William the Conqueror, King of England. That's right, you're in the presence of royalty. I'm just waiting for my castle. Have you ever done that? It's so much fun to just look and see how all of that stuff all works together, you know, and you can look back at your family and you can get some kind of idea of why you are the way you are. And it's really amazing to me. In the Bible, you know, the Bible, I love the Bible because it's a storybook. It's a book about the, God's great desire to be a father with a family. And one of the things that I love about the Bible is it's a tell-all book. You know, I don't know what it is about God, but if you, if you mess up, he's writing it in the book and it's going to be there forever. You know, and I, I don't know, but, you know, I found that God's that way because he's not ashamed of you. Even in your mistakes, he's not ashamed of you. You know, man makes the big mistake of giving away the dominion of this planet by disobeying God's commandment, yet God shows up immediately to help and to intervene and to start a plan to reconcile the family back together. God's desire is to be a father with a family, and you and I need to train ourselves to get rid of our religious ideas that communicate to us and to our hearts and influence us to relate to God in any way other than our father. It's his great desire, and I have been just overcome with this reality. 
But it's real easy for us to get sidetracked because we have this dysfunction in our families. We're all jacked up. Everybody say jacked up. But the next time you think your family is just too jacked up, I want you to remember, remember this. Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Joseph was abused. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. David had an affair. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Elijah was depressed and suicidal. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. Paul was too religious, Timothy had an ulcer, Zacchaeus was small, Leah was ugly, and Lazarus was dead. <laughs> yet at some point, thank you, yet at some point in their lives and in their families, they connected to the reality of God as their father. And they believed his reality above their own. And all kinds of miraculous things started to take place. Let's look at one of these jacked up families in the Bible. It's found in Genesis chapter 50. And I'll read verse 22 as my text. Genesis 50, 22. And it reads like this. So Joseph and his brothers and their families continued to live in Egypt. Joseph lived to the age of 110. You know, when we read the Bible, we skim over verses like this and we really don't, unless we just stop and start really visualizing the reality of the power of God that it took to bring this verse to pass. Because this family was messed up. I mean, this family was messed up to the point that Joseph's dad favored him over his other brothers. And that favor upon, from his dad and the fact that Joseph had this dream that involved his other brothers bowing down to him, it caused his brothers to hate him so much that they conspired to murder him. They had a plan to murder him, but then they came up with a plan B, and that was to sell him off into slavery. And so Joseph went off into slavery. He got down to Egypt. There he got in trouble, got locked up. You know, those of you watching in the correctional facility today, just because you're in there doesn't mean that you don't have a future and a hope. God's able to intervene in your family story right there in that place and to change it and to make it powerful and meaningful. Believe that. <laughs> Joseph got into trouble, but you know, the thing that really started to make his dream come to pass was the day that he got interested in other people's dreams. I don't know what it is, but it's miraculous. If you got this big dream, this big vision in your heart, and it doesn't involve you helping other people, I want you to re-examine that dream and that vision. Joseph, got he got into this thing, and some guys, when he was locked up in prison, had a dream. He got interested in those dreams, and all of a sudden, his dreams started to accelerate. And he went from the prison to the number two most powerful man in the world at that time. But there was this big famine that broke out that had to do with Joseph's dream. And it caused his own family who had so misused and abused him to be starving to death. And one day Joseph's brothers came and stood before him. And Joseph had a chance and an opportunity. They came in before him and his first response was, well, let's send them to prison. 
And I love that about Joseph because it shows the reality of his humanity. But the Bible tells us that every time these brothers got around him that he'd have to turn away. He'd have to go hide himself and pull himself back together because there was such a love and a desire for him to see his family made whole. There's help for us when we have dysfunction in our family because God goes crazy when it comes to family. His desire to pull us back together and to reconcile us, just like with Joseph, all of this famine was orchestrated for this one moment to bring these men in the same room. And then God would step back out of the way and see if they were willing to take this step to watch his power move in their life. You see, God will always meet you at the point of your willingness. So I have a few things if you're in this situation where your family's jacked up that I just want to share real quick. If I go too fast and you want these notes, if you'll just go to the, to the website and email me, there's a contact page there, I'll, I'll be glad to send these notes to you. Number one, we need to not be blame shifters. We need to not shift blame. Since the fall of man, that was the first response. The woman takes the fruit, she eats it, she gives it to her husband there with her. God shows up and he says, what have you done? And she goes, it was the serpent. He goes to the man and says, what have you done? And he says, it was that woman. And that's our typical response, isn't it, brothers? And the crowd goes mild. We need to stop shifting blame. I wonder if the outcome of the fall would have been different if man would have stood up, if Adam would have stood up and said, you know what, God? I'm the one. And until we get to that place where we're willing to take responsibility, we'll never really fully see the, how, the power of God move in our family. Number two, we need to stop hiding. That was the first part, first part of the separation of us from the family of God was we hid ourselves. We need to stop hiding because God knows where you're at and he knows what you've done. So you're really not hiding anything. You're only giving in to point number three, shame and fear. Fear is something in our life that really is the pinnacle of the sin nature. Because really at its essence, our sin nature is about fear. About us fearing that God didn't really provide for us all that he said he would provide for us. We need to face fear because fear when it's faced is never as big and as bad as it really seems. We need to face our fears, especially when we see our fears from the view of God's greatness. Number four, we need to forgive and be forgiven. Joseph had a choice to make when his brothers were standing there. He could either embrace his pain or his dream, but he couldn't have both. He could either hang on to his pain and say, no, I hurt too bad that I can't give it up for the dream coming to pass. Joseph had to choose to forgive. And once he gave his forgiveness, then his brothers had to be willing to accept it. Even though it took years for them to accept it, Joseph would not allow his family and his brothers to live in regret. Because years after they came together, their father passed away, and the brothers then were afraid that Joseph was going to execute vengeance upon them for what they'd done now that dad was gone. And when Joseph found out about it, they came together and he said this. 
You meant this for evil, but God meant this for good. They had to be willing to accept it, and Joseph had to stand up and say, I'm not going to let you relive in the regrets of the past. And finally, number five, they had to step back and allow God to work and not control the process. I know for me it's a big deal in my life because I have tried to hold tightly the will of God to only see it work according to my plans and the way that I thought it should come to pass instead of just opening up my hand and letting go and saying, God, you can be trusted. Fear many times will stop us and make us try to stand up and control the process. But I know this much that God loves your family. He loves your family and he's going to do everything that he possibly can to repair any breaches or any damage in your family. He's going to go to the links like he did with Joseph to stand up, create this, this famine to come and God says, I'm going to use that and it's going to bring these boys back together and look at the wonderful thing that it did. I got to see some of God's power working in my family recently, and I just want to tell you a brief story about what that looked like. On February 13th, 2011, I was speaking in Christiana, Pennsylvania. I was just getting ready to speak for the seventh time that weekend, and I heard this small voice down inside my heart, and it just said, I'm about to change your life. And I started immediately to control the process and think of all the things that I wanted changed in my life. And you know, many times when we do that, we really limit what God can do. Because I didn't have any idea how wonderful, how deep and how sacred a thing that God was going to do in my life. So we went in and I finished the last service. We got in the car and started to the airport when I got an email. I got an email from a girl that I dated back in 1971. I hadn't heard from her since that time. And the email went like this, Jimmy, it's overdue that you should meet your daughter and your grandsons. Her name's Jessica, you can look her up on Facebook. Man, God ain't kidding when he says he's gonna change your life. Said, she said in the email, she said, she doesn't know about you, but Jessica did. She knew three things. She knew I had long hair. She knew I played guitar. And she knew my name. And so I sent her a friend's request on Facebook, and she went into an emotional breakdown. And for three weeks, she processed her pain as I grieved so deeply that all I could do to pray was just groan. Oh, God, Jessica. But on March Seventh, I got an email from her, and we began to start a journey of connecting our lives together. Later on that week, she sent me a quote that her little sister had sent her, and I believe it's from Oprah, but please don't tell anybody I was in Green Bay quoting Oprah. <laughs> but it said this, forgiveness is giving up the hope that the past could have been any different. And she said, I'd like to meet you and your wife on March 14th in Charlottesville, Virginia. And so we went. And I tell people, you know, it's like when you meet me, it's like I'm never going to use the words hi or hello in a greeting because I'm too cool for that. <laughs> so I'll, I'll say something like I'll cock my head and go, hey. <laughs> so we pulled into the parking lot and there Jessica and her husband Leroy 
were standing and Sherry and I got out and I went up to her and she looked just like me, except much prettier. And uh, I was anticipating what her first words would be. She was 38 years old and I'd never heard her voice. And I walked up to her and she cocked her head and goes, hey. She said, hey, I'm a hugger. And she threw her arms around me. And we wept. And we wept. And we wept. And we wept. And we went into the restaurant and sat down and I apologized to her and asked her to forgive me. She reached over and grabbed a hold of my arm and said, well, you're here now. And we can't change the past, so we're cool. You see, my mind, I thought that God's blessings started on the day that I received him. But him not being bound by time could reach down through my life, back past when I knew him and served him, to a time when I give him no regard and said, I'm going to redeem this because it's family. And I'm going to be faithful to your seed even when you weren't. So over the next days and months, we got to watch and discover all of these interesting genetic characteristics that Jessica has that I have. And it's just remarkable. Easter Sunday 2011 was our first church service together and I was sitting at her house we were going to her church and she brought me a gift which was a coffee mug with daddy names all over it full of her favorite candy bar zeros which are my favorite candy bar and we were talking and she reached up and she put her hands on my face and she looked me in the eyes and she said daddy It's just like you were always here. You see, we, we minimize the power of God when we think that he can't reach down inside of our hearts. And he can't grab a hold of the pain and the years of the hurt. And to take those things out of our DNA and out of our character. And replace them with the reality of his love, his kindness, and his goodness. And we tell this story for one reason. I've talked to many hundreds of people about their relationships and the dysfunction in them. And there's so many people, I even here today, first service, we had a lady come up and tell me, tell me briefly about her story. We've talked to so many people and we found something in common about the stories. We stay separated because nobody knows what to do. So nobody does anything. Maybe out of fear, whatever. And so we tell this story for a reason. And that reason is we want you to ask you to do something. If you're in that situation where there's dysfunction in your family, we want, you to, we want to ask you to do something. What? I don't know. Pray? Yes. Ask God for wisdom? Of course. For some of you, doing something will be doing nothing. 
For others use, it will be make the phone call, step out, face your fear, don't shift blame, stand up and say, here I am, do the research, make the call. Because I can't tell you there's only a few experiences in my life that I would define as miraculous and wonderful. And this event so changed our family. You know, I went from two grandkids to six grandkids overnight. And my whole concern about the whole deal was, Lord, where do I find money to pay for Christmas? <laughs> and he's my provider as well. So, but I want to encourage you today, don't let the separation of the pain of the abuse or hurt of the past keep you separated from each other. You can't, you can't tell what the other person's gonna do, but as far as you're concerned, you can put it out there. You know, forgiveness, the New Testament definition of forgiveness simply means to cut loose. When we open up our hands, cut loose those things, it opens up our hearts and we're able to receive more, to do more, and to experience more of the love of God. So I wanted to share this message today. Mark asked me to talk about this last night and just give it to you as hope that you'll make those differences, you know? There's one thing in my family that we won't stand for. We won't be separated. I don't care what it takes, we're gonna stand together and we're gonna make provision. And we've, we've had that put to the test of days in the last few days, but you know what, we're still standing. We're not going to move. And I think that we need that type of determination. So can I pray for you all? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this great church. Thank you for these families that are represented here today. And Lord, I pray that as we leave today that we would be encouraged to know that you're at work in our families. And Lord, you'll orchestrate events that are beyond our comprehension to bring us to the place where we can show our willingness and forgive and receive forgiveness. Lord, I pray that, that we would be changed and transformed. Lord, I pray there's families all over this church today that their lives, they've been encouraged to take a step of faith, to face their fears, and to see what happens. And Lord, I ask that you meet them there and just transform their world. And I appreciate it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all.